You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. little overcast but you know this is southern california always learn new things when we're on the road and a couple of the things that i have learned as we start today's show is you guys love schedules everyone loves schedules but you really have a dislike some of you for clemson head coach Dabo swinney how did i have to travel three thousand miles to the west coast to learn that i don't know but we're going to dive into it. it is thursday june 15th year of our lord 2023 and we are live essentially high atop the pacific ocean we're here in los angeles california elite 11 workouts night two gonna happen about two and some odd hours behind us away from where we are live now, but we're jam-packed, and um, yeah, schedules are out. Those SEC schedules, I don't really care if you live in Oregon, Miami, New York, L.A., like everyone's talking about that. I've got some thoughts. Now, truthfully, we were not going to talk about it on tonight's show if I heard someone else say what I already think, but I did not hear a lot of folks go the direction I'm going to go. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about bold predictions. we got a whole lot of what-ifs. It turns out we could not fit that all into one show the other day. So we're going to discuss that. As I said, innocently enough, as I always do, I just flutter a tweet out there earlier today. Hey, what what you think about Dabo Swinney? Opinions, thoughts, and then they just rain down on me. So much so that some of you threw around some words. Uh, the words are fake and inauthentic to describe Clemson head coach Dabo Swinney. So you know what? We're going to talk about that. And it all stems from a conversation I had with a couple of coaches the other day who felt the opposite about him. A lot of opinions out there. Also, since we're in Los Angeles, just down the road, USC, Lincoln Riley, uh, we'll put the spotlight on the Trojans before we go off the air today. They're watching us in Zionsville, Indiana, home of the Wiltfong family, among others. They're watching us in Tyler, Texas. Salt Lake City, Utah is tuned in. Listen, um, if you want my parents to be proud of me, if you want my friends to be able to claim they're proud to know me, we got to get the channel to 200,000 subs. Kenny won't even look at me straight unless we get to 200,000 subs. And so please, please, if nothing else, then my credibility around Kenny, get us 200,000 subs uh, before kickoff, preferably. Yeah, preferably before kickoff. All right, let's dive into the show tonight. It's very windy. If you're listening on podcast, none of this means anything to you. But the iJosh is doubling as a paperweight out here. What kind of world are we living in? Much more sunny in Nashville, as it turns out, than it is in Los Angeles today. But we're happy to be here. All right, so, I mean, what else would you do when you go to Los Angeles besides talk about SEC schedule release? Um... To my friends in Fayetteville, Arkansas, how about it? How about this? Finally, we do not look up as we lay down on the canvas, incapacitated, at the SEC League office, macho man style on the top rope about to drop the elbow on us. It's happened before. Most of us candidly thought it was going to happen again. And what I mean by that is uh, Arkansas... Unlike most fan bases who think they get screwed by their respective league offices, actually does get screwed routinely by the SEC league office. And yet, I'm looking at Arkansas' schedule, and where's Alabama? Don't see them. Where, where's Georgia? Don't see them. What is this? This is Arkansas' schedule. So, the first thing that stood out in this SEC schedule release for 2024, by the way, unless you, in case you've been living in the cave, is... Arkansas actually somehow was a winner in this. That's the first thing that stood out. The second thing that stood out to me, and and this is really quick hitting because I've got some more overarching thoughts about this I'm going to get to, is um, that Texas-Texas A&M game, when we finally get to it, and I I don't know if we're going to play that the last week of the season like we do in normal rivalry settings. I know previously that's been A&M versus LSU. Who knows what the the order of opponents is going to be, but when we get to that A&M, Texas weekend, whenever that finally is. It is going to qualify for atmosphere of the year, atmosphere of the decade, and I think we've been far enough removed from it, as I always talk to my college audience, we're far enough removed from it where 
you're a freshman at A&M. You're a freshman at Texas. You were just a youth. You were just a little tot. Last time they really played this game, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's nasty. People, people really despise each other. They're going to play it in College Station. Uh, that's what a public pressure campaign will do, so credit to the guys out in College Station. That's going to be great. Uh, third thing that I took away, poor Florida. Like, Florida is the new Arkansas. That's what I took away. Florida has essentially a, a who's who, a whomst, whomst of quality opponents. And also you add into the fact that they play Florida State every year, and uh, I don't know if you've heard, but Florida State is kind of back and so you see it on your screen. You can look this stuff up. It's, it's not happening until 2024. I just want to remind you, when we had that whole kerfuffle, that whole dust-up last week, two weeks ago, about how the SEC is cowardly. Shame on you for not going to nine league games. I want you to look at that Florida schedule. And I want anyone out there with a straight face now. And notice I said straight face. I want any of you with a straight face to tell me, yeah, it's just not quite good enough. It really doesn't measure up. Uh, clown. Clown world. That's what you're living in if you think that. Okay, so, yeah, everybody had their takeaways. Like, everybody is happy Georgia finally gets actually pushed a little bit. Um, everyone's happy that Alabama's got a stiff schedule. Folks up in northwest Arkansas are happy they're finally off the hook and they don't have to play in, the, like, the AFC South anymore. But I was looking at this, and I didn't really think of individual teams. I looked at it, and I said, I think I'm going to end up valuing conference title games more than I am playoff results. And I texted this to a couple of buddies, as I sometimes do, and try and try and feel out how the public perception will be towards some of the things I think. And sometimes it's good because it filters out bad takes. But I texted that to some of my buddies, and they said, uh, "Yep, I kind of see where you're going with that." The SEC championship game, for that matter, the Big Ten championship game, and the process to get there and win it is going to mean as much, if not more, to me than whatever whatever happens in the playoff, which is going to be pretty new. Uh, it's going to be a new concept for folks like me. The whole regionality era of college football is over. And that's not breaking news to anyone who's been paying attention to conference realignment. We, we've all seen. I mean, we were here. Like, I was sitting in this very spot, actually, this time last year, shortly after the news had broken, USC, UCLA, they're headed to the Big Ten. And so, yeah, I mean, we knew that the glass had already been broken. I'm not talking about that, guys. I'm talking about what kind of novelty it used to be and what kind of specialness there used to be when you shook up that out-of-conference snow globe or when you got to bowl season and you finally got to see teams from other conferences play each other and you had that rare regular season out of conference. Like every now and then Texas would go play Ohio State. Every now and then Alabama would play Penn State. But that's just the thing. It was rare. And so we circled it. I mean, back in the day, schedules would be released like 10 years ahead of time and you would look forward to it for six, seven, eight years it's In one hand, it's a good thing that we get all this precious inventory and we get these big games. But here's the downside. I thought David Ubbin did a really good job over at The Athletic of summing up kind of how I feel about this. Because he said, hey, I'm conflicted on this. I, I loathe the erosion of regionality in this sport. But I also couldn't lie to you and say I'm not looking extra forward to watching Alabama go play Oklahoma in Norman in 2024. Yeah, I am too. Uh, but at the same time, I, I look forward to that because of how special it is. When you decrease the scarcity of something, does it maintain its value? Now, certainly I'm not suggesting we will ever look at Alabama at Oklahoma and say, eh, could take it or leave it. That's not going to be the case. What I, what I take away from it is I look at what you'll have to do to win an SEC championship. And I look at the strength of schedule that you will have accumulated by playing in this league or in the Big Ten by playing in that league. And I think to myself, if you go through all that, and then you make the conference title game and you win the conference title, you don't have anything more to really prove to me in the playoff, especially when your conference is guaranteed no more slots than the AAC is guaranteed. Now, of course, we all know with the at-large process, the SEC will get more teams in than a G5, and the Big Ten will, but my point remains the same. You know, it's like I, I don't watch the Miss America competition because it never made sense to me that New Hampshire is guaranteed the same amount of entrance as Texas because I've been to Texas. I've been to, I'm in California right now. I've been to Florida. I grew up in Georgia. I have stood on random street corners and looked around and probably seen 10 candidates that would win Miss New Hampshire. And so I thought to myself, you're just taking one per state. That's interesting. I get it. In principle, I get it, but that's interesting. In the college football playoff selection process, I'm going to get one of your conference champions and then one of your conference champions. And I, I look at it and I say, well, hold on. 
I am a firm believer that any given year, the number three from the SEC would probably be a more quality team, uh, ditto for the Big Ten, than any given year what the Sun Belt's going to pump out or any given year what the Pac-12 is going to pump out and whatever the Pac-12 ends up being. So uh, I say all that to say it's not that you couldn't beat an SEC team. That's never what it's been about for me, even back in the old selection process. I always looked and I always said, I, your ability to beat someone in one-off in one off settings, UCF's ability, for instance, to beat Auburn in a one-off setting, it never mattered to me because I always looked and I said, it's not what you're capable of doing in any one-game setting. It's what you probably weren't capable of doing in an eight or in some conferences a nine-game setting. I never thought those teams would make it through that schedule unscathed. Therefore, I didn't really care what they could do in a one-off setting. And I'm going to think the same and probably even then some about uh, league schedules in the SEC and Big Ten in the future. There's this other misconception, I think, that's floating around about coaches' attitudes. Saban's been under fire a little bit about this. Uh, I don't know that Kirby's talked a whole lot about it, but I've just I've heard some people mention Kirby Smart. Oh, man, Georgia's finally got to play a tough conference schedule. I bet they hate that. Uh, they don't hate it at all. They don't. In fact, when we were up there, I don't think I've told this story, when we were up there last year for the Tennessee game, the, the night before, I had some of their staff talking to me about how much they hated the next year's schedule. Georgia now. Georgia. The same Georgia you're looking at complaining about having a cakewalk this year, they were complaining about it too. The misconception out there is all these coaches want a soft road, an easy road. They're not scared of the competition. Actually, 99% of my talk to embrace the competition. They actually want tougher schedules. What they're concerned about is not on the front end. Most of these coaches aren't concerned about playing a tougher schedule. They're not scared of the competition. What they're scared of is on the back end, if they do load up on quality competition voluntarily, or if their conference, mandatory, loads them up with quality competition, they're worried that on the back end, some committee's not going to respect it and not going to properly value strength of schedule, and they're going to lose three games and be left out for someone who lost one game in another conference that plays a fraction of the strength of schedule they do. That's all it's ever been about, guys. If you could promise the Nick Sabans of the world, you promised Kirby Smarts of the world, you promise those guys on the back end, the selection process is going to equitably account for strength of schedule. They'd love to play 12 Power 5 opponents. And I know this because I've talked to them off the record about it. So it's never been about the competition. It's been about the selection process on the back end. Uh, final thought, at least on the schedule with the SEC. Is this a good thing for you? And I pause because I want you to be able to answer. Is it a good thing for you? It very much depends on your perspective on this sport as to whether this is a good thing for you or not. Uh, I guess the best way for me to put this is to ask the question, do you view yourself as a college football fan or do you view yourself as a Kentucky fan? Are you a college football fan or are you a Mississippi State fan? Because your answer to that question greatly determines the answer to the next question, and that question is, is conference realignment a good thing for you? Is this schedule a good thing for you? If you're a college football fan, first and foremost, like me, it's a good thing because you get quality games. I don't have anything else to worry about. You know, Pate State's not involved here. We go undefeated every year anyway. So Pate State's not involved here, but Kentucky is. Uh, Kentucky's going to lose more football games, by and large, because of the beefed-up nature of the SEC league schedule. Mississippi State, by and large, is going to lose more football games because of the beefed-up league schedule. Now, here's what's really popular now. What's really popular is for someone to pop in the comment section or reply on Twitter and say, yeah, but that's short-sighted, Josh. You're not seeing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is Mississippi State will make so much more money. Kentucky will make so much more money. You won't. None of you will. Like, who cares? People you'll never meet are making more money. Uh, it's, it's a very cautionary tale that other fans of other sports have learned before, and I think in the toughest way possible, some of our fans in our sport that aren't CFB fans, they're UK fans, they're OM fans, they're MSU fans, you're about to learn that you know, when, when Mr. Executive comes down from the 37th floor and starts to lecture you about what's in your best interest and what's good for you, He's going back up to the 37th floor when he's done talking to you, okay? He's not putting on maroon. He's not putting on blue. He's putting on a suit that costs more than what we make in a month in most cases, and they're cashing in because of the product. Whether it's to the detriment of your team or not, they're cashing in on the overall product. So, hey, you're a college football fan? It's a great day for you. If, if you're a fan of South Carolina football, 
I don't know that it's necessarily a great day for you. It's going to be entertaining. And, and you guys, I know you don't just watch your team, obviously. It's not Major League Baseball. You watch other teams. It's going to be fun to watch those other games, but whew, you know what kind of level you got to recruit at? You know what kind of luck you got to have in the turnover plus health departments? You know what kind of needle you got to thread to be a two-loss or fewer team facing these modern-day schedules? The, the other thing about that, I know that said that was my last thought, you better recalibrate your expectation level. You better recalibrate what you think is a good year. There are going to be some eight and fours out there that used to get you criticized that should kind of get you low-key praised against these new league schedules. So a lot of different directions that we can go with this. But um, we're going there, I guess. So whether you like it or not, we're going there. Uh, we did this thing the other night. I appreciate you guys being tuned in, by the way. It's, it's, a, it's an atypical start time for us, and we still got a ton of folks tuned in. I appreciate it. Uh, a little behind the scenes, because you can't see, we're at Redondo Union High School here in Southern California. And before Elite 11 happens behind us, the high school is doing just normal practice. And so we've got, we've got offensive linemen sled work off to my left, and we've got more offensive line sled work off to my right. And it's, it's as in the trenches. Craig, I would say on the road, this is as in the trenches as we've ever been. And luckily, I mean, we've got a mic that is worth more than my entire wardrobe, so it doesn't necessarily pick up. <laughs> no, that, there's the shot. You know what? Ignore me for a second. I just want to give the thumbs up. There we go. So I can screenshot that later. That'll be, that'll be a good moment. That's going on someone's fridge. Probably the parents of one of these kids. Okay, let's get back to business here. So anyway, like I was saying, we did a segment the other night called What If? Biggest what-ifs in college football for 2023. And I took a lot of submissions from you, and I sprinkled in some of producer Jesse's and some of mine. I think Director Colin may have even contributed. But think about the broader picture and a, a larger overarching scale of what would happen if. And I got four of them for you today. The one about Oregon is the most fascinating to me. So we got a what-if from one of you guys, and it was, what if Bo Nix is healthy this year and Oregon goes to the college football playoff? We got a bold prediction later in the show that's like 10 times wilder than this. But, hey, what if? What if that happens? Well, my first thought is, my, oh, my, how the story arc will have shifted on Bo Nix. You know, when, when he was down there at Auburn, uh, being mismanaged, moderately to severely mismanaged, before he transferred to Oregon, people went from being sky high on him when he was in high school to all of a sudden, oh, he sucks water through a garden hose. He's a college football quarterback, and I never really fluctuated all that much. I did think he was misused. Well, then he goes up to Oregon, and we went up there to watch him last year. Uh, the dude is like ear-to-ear -ear smiling. He can't hide his excitement. Then he goes and just dominates against UCLA for the game we were there, and he's in the mix for the Heisman this upcoming season. In fact, his odds are right up there in the top five, not Pac-12-wise, nationally. And I don't know that we're close enough to the season where most of the college football public has realized that yet. Granted, we're in college football preview magazine season, so more and more of you are starting to realize that you need to take Bo Nix seriously. I don't know what else to tell you. You should have been taking him seriously last year. At this point, if you laugh or scoff at the notion that Bo Nix could be a Heisman contender and Bo Nix could put Oregon in the playoff picture, the joke's not on us. The joke's on you. And so the what if for me here is uh, not, a, not a stretch to think about. I think about what it would do for the Oregon program. I think about what it would do for the perception of Dan Lanning. Because remember, if they do this, it will be coming off a year where they lost their offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, who goes to Arizona State. So you got a new OC up there. A lot, of, a lot of the settling in, though, kind of overrides that, the year one to year two thing with a staff and with a quarterback. It would be a big story, though. I mean, listen, a Pac-12 team going to the playoff period is a big story. It's only happened twice in the playoff era. Oregon, the first year. And Washington a couple of years later, that's it. Uh, so this would be a huge deal for the Pac-12. And I would also just be fascinated at how it happened. Did they go undefeated? Was it just a total knockdown, knife fight, drag out in the Pac-12? Did, um, did they shore up some of the defensive issues they had last year? Or did Bo Nix and company just outscore everyone? So that's a what if in the Pac-12. What about Texas A&M? This is a fun what if. I think a lot of you are going to get fired up if this does happen. What if Bobby Petrino was really the missing ingredient all along in College Station? Well, the first thing that will happen is if that's true, in other words, if the right chef walks into a kitchen that's loaded with the right ingredients, you are, you are on the precipice of making a really incredible meal. They're not far away. 
talent-wise. In fact, they're not far away at all. It's just that they had the wrong guy with his hands on the wheel last year offensively. Happens to be the head coach. And if Bobby Petrino therein is the missing ingredient, uh, we're, we're teetering on a world that not a lot of people are going to be comfortable talking about. Let me ask you guys, outside of Austin, Texas, are, are you ready for a world where Texas A&M is in the mix for the college football playoff? Are you ready for a world where if Bama doesn't win the West, it's not LSU, it's A&M that won the West? I don't think a lot of people are ready for that. I halfway don't think half of my A&M folks are ready for that. What would you do with yourselves? But if that happens, Jimbo Fisher, it's like chapter two. It's like part two of his career starts to get written. Think about this. Follow along with me. So far, you've known Jimbo Fisher, the dude that looks like me right now, the dude with like 37 pieces of paper in front of him, and it's he's like lately seeming to drive an offense into the ground. I know there's a lot more layers to it than that. But think about all of a sudden – if he makes that move, because this is how the story will be told, regardless of how it went down. The story will sound like this. Jimbo Fisher realized he had to make a move. He went out. He brought in Bobby Petrino. And all of a sudden, boom, things took off. And all of a sudden, it becomes Jimbo Fisher, the CEO. Now, folks closer to the program know CEO are the last three letters that you would ever put around Jimbo Fisher to accurately describe what his strengths are. But that doesn't matter in storytelling because storytelling just wants to present things nice and neat where we can put it on the shelf and the consumer wants to buy it. So what if Bobby Petrino was the missing ingredient? That story I just told you, that's the story that will be told about A&M football. Going up to Penn State, the Fighting Jessies in State College. What if Drew Aller is the real deal? Now, we were up there about a month and a half ago. We watched spring practice. Uh, we watched him. We watched an unfinished wide receiver group. We've got guys coming in from Kent State, for example. Cephas coming in there in right now in the summertime. If Drew Aller's the real deal, I know some people think that guarantees some things. Like if I were to guarantee you Drew Aller plays at a five-star level this year, that means that Penn State wins the East. Well, it certainly gives them a good shot to do it. But I want you to remember, this is not a situation like Texas in the Big 12. See, if you told me Texas fulfills on their potential in the Big 12 this year, they're going to win the Big 12. You tell me Penn State, you tell me Drew Aller uh, fulfills on his potential this year, I look at it and I say... That may be enough to make Penn State the favorite, but it's no slam dunk. Because Drew Aller could be really good this year, and they still lose to Michigan. Drew Aller could be really good this year. They still go into Columbus, Ohio, and get beat 27-23 to by the Buckeyes. So it's a little different game there in the Big Ten East. But if he is, remember, this is just his first year as a starter. So if he's great this year and they win the conference, moot point. If he's great this year and they come closer than some people thought they would, they're on the cover of every preview magazine going into 2024. They are Florida State, in other words, going into 2024. And lastly, and this is one I want to stress to the listeners down in the greater Gainesville, Florida area that was submitted. I didn't come up with this one, although we have a well-documented alleged hatred on my end for the Florida Gators. Not quite sure where it came from, but apparently it's there. Uh, the what if goes as follows. What if Florida is bad this year? But FSU just rolls, and Miami picks up steam. Uh, if this happens, there are going to be some really, really irrational things being said. There could be some irrational decisions being made. There is no substitute. There's no way to simulate what it feels like when your rivals turn up the heat on you and you're not delivering. It doesn't matter what you think in a controlled setting at dinner. It doesn't matter what you say in June or July. When the heat gets turned up, and what that would look like here is Florida goes 5-7, and seven, FSU goes 11-1, and one and they're in the playoff. Miami writes the ship, and they're a nine-win team this year. If that happens, and recruiting is also suffering along with it, there will be a huge movement to make a coaching change at Florida. I'm not saying it's right. In fact, you probably wouldn't hear me say that's right, knowing my history on these sorts of things. But I've also found myself before fighting a losing battle in trying to preach logic, Let's preach patience. There, there is none of that. There isn't, we don't play 162 of these games. We play 12 of them, and it's a long time between game 12 and then game one of the next year. And if your two rivals, if Florida State's validated themselves, and if Miami turns it around, you know as well as I do what it's going to sound like. If they can do it, why can't we? If Mario did it in two years, why can't we? Mike Norvell figured it out. He's not even recruiting as well as we are. Why can't we? That's what it's going to sound like. And lastly... What's going to be said is, 
we're in the SEC. We got more resources than they do. Well, yeah, you do, but at the same time, uh, to whomst much is given, much is required. And I'm talking about scheduling there. Uh, the other part of that is, this is not entirely wrong. If you don't have any traction as a Florida program exiting 2023, all you're going to have for seven months is time to look at that upcoming schedule in 2024. Will not be fun. Not going to be fun anyway. But it's especially not going to be fun if they're coming off a five or six win season. So you see, the what if game is very dangerous because it's a glass half full, glass half empty thing. Um, it's probably in my wheelhouse. But it paints a, a dream scenario and a nightmare scenario at the same time for many different fan bases. And then we'll ultimately see what happens. That's what God created the fall for, as Meemaw would say. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we are on the road, Academy Sports and Outdoors, the wind figuratively in our sails as the literal wind comes straight in off the Pacific, a little bit warmer here than it was last year. That's probably not going to last but a few more hours. Academy Sports and Outdoors, uh, we could have gotten this table there. We could have gotten this tablecloth there. I showed you famously at this point the other day, someone hit us up who is in the reptile business and said, I needed some reptile nets, and I went to a certain establishment that shan't be named, and they didn't have it. And I went to Academy, and they had it for 5 bucks. You know you can get your lacrosse stick there. Big lacrosse field just off to my left, by the way. You know you can get your baseball supplies there. We know the sporting goods and outdoor supplies are there. We know the tents are there. We know the canopies are there. We know the coolers are there. We know the grills are there. Etc. is there, too. I think one of the best marketing campaigns that Academy could probably endeavor is we do etc. It's probably going to get shot down by the focus group, but I think it would go over well, and at the very least, we could trial it. On our show, but Academy Sports and Outdoors is is our partner that's had our back, and it, it, it enables us to take the show on the road. But it also enables us to bring you the show for free. And like I say, sometimes it's not a chemical treatment plant. It's not some place that puts their sticker on the show, but has otherwise no functional use in your life. Uh, these folks are actually there to give you things that you need for a nominal fee, of course. So Academy Sports and Outdoors always appreciate them. Academy.com if you can't get there in person. I am going to get in trouble for the next segment. I'm not going to get in trouble. I am going to get some some pretty stiff pushback, no matter which direction I go. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to take the path that includes me delivering some opinions that I have gotten from you. I'm going to mix some commentary in. I'm going to give you some anonymous quotes from coaches. In fact, that's where this came from. And you can decide for yourselves how you feel about this. All right, Colin, here's your end point. And I miss you, by the way. Colin, here's your end point. So I'm talking to some folks in the coaching world. And they were talking about Debo Swinney the other day. And it got me to thinking, because they were giving me their opinion about how, you know, there may be some of his methodology they're not crazy about, but everyone's got that. The bottom line is the guy's results speak for themselves. And one of you asked me about this. And so I just put it out earlier on Twitter. I said, hey, what are your opinions of Debo Swinney? And I was just thinking about it. I was in my hotel room earlier this morning. I was just thinking about this. We did not plan on putting this in the show. But I feel like we got to go this direction because we got like a thousand replies to it. So let me ask you, if you're listening on podcasts, let me ask you. If you're watching on YouTube, whether live or delayed, let me ask you. What do you think about Dabo Swinney? Because I got probably, uh, I wrote down four of the most popular responses. I think there are like four buckets that opinions of Dabo Swinney fall in. One of them is just, I respect him. He's a high character guy. I love the way he goes about his business. There are some people who feel that way. Obviously, a lot of Clemson fans feel that way. Uh, that's self-descriptive. I don't have to spend a lot of time on that. There is a, a fairly sizable group of people. I may fall into this group, actually. There is, there's a sizable group of people who say, there are some things about him that I don't particularly love, but that makes him no different than anyone else. It's not like I totally love anyone's approach to life, including mine sometimes. So he's got some idiosyncrasies I could do without, but by and large, I think he's a stand-up guy. Uh, you can't deny his results. His process works. There's certainly 
They're certainly succeeding in having built a unique culture up there. That's category two. I think a lot of the silent majority may fall into that category. Then there's category three, and that is I don't like him. I don't like Dabo Swinney. I don't like his methodology. I think there's a lot of him that may be inauthentic. I think he may be a little bit too showy, plays to the audience. And part of him is just straight up tacky. It's not a word I think we've ever used on the show, but it's a word some of you used. And therefore, I think that is the sticker that goes on bucket number three. Uh, frankly, I don't want to really talk to any of you because I get where you're coming from, even if I disagree with you. However, bucket number four is a little bit different story. Bucket number four is I despise him. I think he's fake. I think he's inauthentic and I don't want anything to do with him. And then there's probably like a personal attack or two that is lobbed at the very end of that, that I won't present on the show. I want to talk to that crowd for a second. So you're free to your opinion. Told you we're not going to castigate anyone here for what you think, especially when it's an opinion-based segment. But here's what I want to know. For the folks out there who claim Dabo Swinney is fake, for the ones who claim he's inauthentic, my simple question to you is, who is the real Dabo Swinney? So define for me what it is about him that's fake. And then I want you to tell me what it's like when the mic's off, when the camera's off, when he goes home on Saturday after the game, when there is no assembled media in front of him, when he's just you know out, out on his driveway on a Tuesday morning before work. Who is he really? When he talks to his buddies on the phone, who is he really? When he's meeting with his staff on Monday morning, who is he really? I, I struggle anytime someone's never met someone to um, take them seriously when they start telling me how fake someone else is. I've sensed it before. I've got folks just like you who I've never met before who I look at and I think I can see straight through. However, I can't know for sure if I've never met them before. And the other thing, Meemaw used to always tell me, get an idea of the why before judging the what. And what she meant by that, hats off to Meemaw for that one, what she meant by that is there may be a person out there who does some things that make no sense to you or they carry themselves in a way that makes no sense to you. But maybe you don't know their story. Jim Ross used to always say, until you've walked a mile in my boots, you only know half the story, which also could have been a Meemaw quote. So Dabo's got a funny way about this. Dabo's got a, a weird way, a little cringy way he goes about that. That's the what. What's the why behind it? Candidly, I think he brings some of this upon himself because he shies away from platforms like this one, by the way, which is open to him anytime he wants it from uh, allowing himself to be presented long form, unfiltered, in a way that really um, disseminates the why behind a lot of the what. Now, if it doesn't bother him and it's not slowing Clemson down, hey, maybe there's no incentive for him to talk like that. I'll tell you how I feel about him. I have, I have never cared for the Clemson versus the world mentality. I've never cared for the, the little old Clemson deal, only because that's a personal thing with me. I don't believe in using that kind of fuel for motivation because of exactly what's happened at Clemson. You preach that stuff. You preach everyone doubting you. You use disrespect as your fuel. It actually can get you to the mountaintop. The problem is when you're on the mountaintop, no one doubts you anymore. No one disrespects you anymore. You have to make it up. You have to manufacture it. And before too much longer, even though they are 19 and 20 years old, folks see through that. That You can't tell them folks doubt you when they know they're favored by 36 and a half against a conference opponent this Saturday. And so it wears out. And if you don't have a, you don't have a secondary pitch, you don't have something else in your back pocket, you can fall flat a little bit. I'm not telling you that's why Clemson has fallen off. I'm telling you that I think it contributes a little bit. Coaching turnover can contribute to that. Not nailing it at quarterback every cycle. Not continually refilling the coffers at wide receiver. A lot of these things go into it. It's never a soundbite or a snapshot that fully represents what a program is. So that's one thing that I've never personally cared for. Uh, the running down the hill before the game. I don't know the why behind that. Uh, I've, never, I've never really looked at it and said, yeah, go Dabo. I've never, never necessarily cheered that on. But you know what? I wear a white t-shirt every single show. For all I know, Dabo Swinney could watch it and say, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Well, he doesn't know the why behind it. I don't think any of you do because I've never told that story. Maybe I will one day. Big deal. So, so the guy may have a couple of things that I don't particularly love. Here's what I know. What I know is anyone who's ultra close to him, anyone who's been around him, high school coaches especially, that I've talked to, they come back and they say the same thing. Whether you like him or not, there's nothing fake about that. 
In fact, I would call Dabo Swinney one of the most brutally authentic and one of the most brutally what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of guys in coaching. I know some of them that have an image that's sort of a mirage. I know some of them that, that are what we would call in our world heavily produced. Uh, Dabo's not one of them. I don't know if you can tell that. If Dabo were heavily produced, you would hear a fraction of what you actually get out of him. Because what you get out of him is largely, as I said, what you get. That's really him. I think there's also an element, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it, uh, that is, is faith-based in the way that he uh, goes about messaging. Sometimes that stuff can seem inauthentic because there are some people out there who just flat out don't think someone could actually um, operate off of that platform. Well, I can assure you there are people who do. I'm one of them. I've never backed away from talking about my faith on this show. Now, I may go about it a different way than Davos Swinney does, uh, but, but I know that I've, I've gone in our comment section before, even as subtly as I mix it in on our show, and, and I try not to be in your face about it, but, but as subtly as I've mixed in, I've had folks question the authenticity of that in my comment section, and I'm not Davos Swinney, so that times 100 is him. Um, but the point is, whether you like it or not, I don't care if you tell me you don't like it. That's just personal preference. When you start telling me someone's fake about it, when you start telling me they're inauthentic about it, when you start telling me, without having the first clue about who the dude actually is under the surface, that he's fake, that's not really him, how in the world do you know? And how many folks out there do I know, having a little access in this sport, that do know Dabo Swinney on an intimate level that have ever told me that? The answer is zero. The next person who knows Dabo Swinney, the man, who tells me he's inauthentic and fake, will be the first one. I've had people who know him and tell me they don't care for him. I've had folks who know him and tell me, I I'm not the biggest Dabo fan. I've had a bunch of folks who say they love him. I don't know that I've ever had anyone who knows the guy who says, boy, that Dabo, you know, that stuff you see, it's not really him. I don't hear that. Uh, so, so that's the one thing. When, when we got in this Dabo Swinney conversation, which, frankly, I didn't think we were going to be talking about in June, because it's not like he's, he's said anything that's trended over the last month or so. I, I didn't know we were going that direction. But when I saw some people throwing those terms around, I said, yeah, yeah, we better, we better talk about that. All right, let's move right along. Making good time here. Live as live can be. There's, there's proof in the live chat if you're watching. And I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, let's talk about some bold predictions. This is chapter nine of bold predictions. What do you think that you would bet your own money on when it comes to 2023? The bolder, the better. Because if you're baking them, I don't have to make them. Bold prediction number one, pretty simple and straightforward. This is from you, not me, by the way, if you're listening on podcast. Michigan just wins the national championship. Well, I make that one an 8.25 on the boldness scale. Some of you are joking with me that uh, I am living on 8.25 or 8.5 right now. Which is pretty consistent because a lot of these bold predictions have been about that bold. Now, their current odds are plus 850. So for those of you who don't follow gambling, uh, that makes them the fourth odds-on favorite not to win the Big Ten, to win the national championship. And I would also add, when you look at those teams, the, the Ohio States, the Bamas, the Georgias, whoever's up there, pound for pound, Michigan probably has the fewest unanswered questions out of that group. I, I think that's fair to say. You don't have to think they're the best, but think about the questions. You've never seen Carson Beck start a game for Georgia? I don't, we don't even know who's going to start for Alabama. Ditto for Ohio State. At least we know who J.J. McCarthy is at Michigan. At least we know they got a 1-2 in the backfield at running back. So there's some things we know about them. So this is not the wildest prediction. It's just hard to win a national championship, first off. And that's why I put the 8 and a quarter on the boldness scale. And secondly, it's been hard for Michigan to get traction once they get in the playoff. Not everything that has not happened is in a cannot happen category, as we preach all the time on the show. But out of the top eight... In the Big Ten, out of the top eight when it comes to odds to win the Big Ten, they're the only ones set at quarterback. So it's a really, really interesting time up there. They're seventh in FBS in returning production. I just have, I have two words written in all caps on the sheet of paper in front of me. Prove it. That's all they have to do. That's all, by the way. That's all they have to do. Prove it. Next up, since we're here on the West Coast, as Pac-12 paid, I would be remiss if I didn't honor this bold prediction while we're out here in Los Angeles because it's really bold. How bold? Well, listen to this. Two Pac-12 teams make the college football playoff. Now, mind you, since 2014, two of them total have made the playoff. As I mentioned earlier in the show, if you're watching the entire thing, we had Oregon the first year, and we had Washington a couple of years later, 
and then the door slammed on their face, and they haven't gotten another one in since then. Southern Cal was kind of close last year, but they lost the Pac-12 championship game. Oh, by the way, the prediction says two Pac-12 teams are going to make the playoff, and one of them won't be USC. So exclude the Trojans on an already borderline impossible task for the Pac-12. I'm calling this one a 9.75 on the boldness scale leaving that little shred of possibility, but also acknowledging this is pretty ridiculous. you got to have a catastrophe take place in the SEC and the Big Ten. Notre Dame better not be on their game this year. Uh, the Big 12 needs to cannibalize itself collectively. And I think even if that happens, you got to have two Pac-12 teams, not USC apparently, that have to rise above and beyond. So let's just say it's, it's Oregon and Washington. And they have to rise above and beyond. I think the best path for this is they play twice, and whoever wins the regular season matchup loses the conference championship in both competitive games, 38-35. And the committee looks, and they see a bunch of chaos around, and they say, hey, why not? Both of these teams profile out as playoff teams. The Pac-12 was good this year, so let's not judge it on what it has been. Let's judge it on what it was this year. That's the path, but this is tough. 9.75 on the boldness scale for me. I went 9.25 on the next one. We're going to Oxford, Mississippi here. Ole Miss wins 10 games. They are a team right now with a preseason over-under of 7.5. So they're going to have to clear that substantially. But I made this a 9.25 because I know they play at Bama. They play at Georgia. They got LSU. They got A&M. And they got Tennessee. You're telling me they got to go 3-2, and two, worst case, against that stretch and then go undefeated the rest of the way. I just don't think it's going to happen. If they were returning a superstar at quarterback, that would still be a tall task. But as it stands, they're not. And as it stands, this is not a loaded roster that, that's got multiple top five classes baked into it. They're having to heavily portal every year. I praise the job Kiffin's doing. Don't get me wrong. So this is not a knock on them. In fact, I credit them. But when you're asking them to clear this kind of bar, go 10-2 and two this year, that's tough. Uh, they have won 10 games twice in the college football playoff era. We Our best guess is they'll be favored in maybe seven games this year. So that one's going to be tough. Um, yeah, not much more to say about that. You're playing that, that five-game stretch, and a lot of those games are back-to-back, guys. So it's going to be tough to clear that 7.5. It's going to be tough to hit that 8-win mark. Let's worry about that before we worry about hitting the 10-win mark. And lastly, this one was kind of interesting because I kind of misread it for a little while. Jesse had to correct me. A new Big 12 team makes the Big 12 championship game. I took that to mean one of the teams that hasn't been there before. No, you guys are talking about those brand new teams. You're talking about Brigham Young, Cincinnati, Houston, um, UCF. So I go and I look at the win total market, which is not always the end-all be-all, especially in the Big 12, as history has taught us. UCF has the seventh best odds to win the conference. Brigham Young, 10th. Cincinnati, 10th. Houston, 12th. I'm just going to use basic deductive reasoning and I'm going to say Central Florida has the best shot here. Uh, Central Florida is coming off back-to-back nine-win seasons. Pretty good team. Gus Malzahn, I will continue to maintain, probably has the ability to see the future with the way he has navigated this sport. He is making massive buyout money from Auburn to coach in Orlando, Florida, as they've become a Power 5 team. That's how you figure it out. That's when you know someone's figured it out. But the thing about it is, for them to play for a Big 12 championship, when they are replacing four starting offensive linemen is going to be extremely difficult. Not impossible, but extremely difficult. Uh, they also are, you know, if you want to go glass half full, they profile as the third team in the Big Ten when it comes to returning production level. But I'm making this one an 8.75. Out of the four of them, it's the Big 12. Anything can happen. We've learned that over the past 24 months, but that one's going to be tough. So new Big 12 team makes the uh, conference title game, not the playoff, but the conference title game. That's an 8.25 at the very least for me. All right, since we were in Los Angeles, I, uh, I felt the need to do two things. The first is to remind you it takes a lot to go on the road. It takes a lot to pack this equipment up. Uh, we especially found that out in Miami last week. And it takes a really, really good friend to help you get it done. Good Greek moving. That's the friend that we made last week that really came in handy and now just indefinitely they'll come in handy for us. But here's the thing. This is not just some commercial mover. This is not just some company that handles major clients. You 
You. I'm pointing at you if you're listening on podcast. You are their major client. Good Greek. They've got the insurance. They've got you covered from that standpoint. They're all about trust in all caps. And that sounds like a talking point they wrote on a piece of paper. No, uh, that is me personally testifying on their behalf because of what we experienced last week. This was like if someone owed you a huge favor. You know, if, if you had saved someone from a burning building and they said, I owe you one, and then that person went and opened a high-scale moving company, that is the treatment that we got from Good Greek last week. And so relocation services, if that's what you're in the need for, big or small, give them a call. Uh, Good Greek moving, they, uh, they bailed us out in a big way last week, and they can bail you out in a big way pretty much any time. As I mentioned, since we're in Los Angeles, I figured no time better than the present to take our spotlight and shine it just down the road a little ways at USC. We've been doing this with a number of teams. We'll continue to do it. We want to know the biggest questions. We want to talk about the best position group, potential breakout player. What does that schedule look like? Essentially, if you're not into preview magazines, or maybe even if you are, here's the page for USC. Question number one for the Trojans this year is not a mystery at all. It's defense. And how much better can they get defensively? They allowed 40-plus in all three of their losses last year. And they were painful to watch if you're a Trojan fan. They were 94th in points per game allowed. They were over 100th in yards per game allowed. And by the way, as our astute viewers will note, that's with all the turnover luck, guys. They were number one in the country in turnover margin and still gave up those kind of numbers even when the defense was taking the ball away. There will be a permanent ceiling on a Lincoln-Riley team that is lower than a national championship until they play a higher caliber defense than they've played. He knows that. They know that. It's not an overnight fix, and so I'm not claiming it should have been last year. That is a statement that just as easily could have applied to his teams at Oklahoma as will apply to now and in the future at USC. So that's question number one. How much improvement do we see defensively this year? Question number two, speaking of that turnover luck, how much of that can you replicate? There is some skill in taking the ball away. There's a lot more that's just luck in overall 12-game-per-season turnover margin. And, and I go back to this. I make a prediction for every team assuming your turnover margin will be even. You'll just be net zero, not plus five, not minus five. Uh, it's, never way, it's never the way the season plays out, but I've never found there to be a ton of skill in predicting turnover margin. And so if USC is just an even turnover team this year, instead of top five, much less number one in the country, what does that do to the win-loss column? I think I know what it would have done last year, but what will it do this year? Question number three. This is going to be pretty evergreen for Lincoln-Riley teams. What is the impact of their portal additions, their portalese, if you will, on this year's team? And I'm specifically looking at defense now. You can, you can go Marshawn Lloyd at running back. You can go all over the roster. I'm looking at defense, though. They were fourth in the transfer portal rankings. They took in 16 kids. They took Bear Alexander. Wasn't starting at Georgia, probably a plug-and-play there. Anthony Lucas played, played some, played like seven games out at A&M. Instant plug-and-play there. Uh, the, the Jack Sullivan, the kid from Purdue, led him in sacks last year. Probably an instant plug-and-play. Mason Cobb, probably their starting Mike linebacker. Comes there by way of Oklahoma State. I had Cole Kublik on the show about a month ago, and you guys railed against him, which I'm all for. Attack him. I don't care, as long as you do it verbally. Uh, but you guys were all over him because he criticized USC's inability to do things like tackle last year and you said well Cole should know we totally revamped and overhauled our front so you can't criticize this team because it's not last year's team in theory that's true I, I would humbly but forcefully defend Cole and say after a certain point your head coach and his teams start to develop a reputation that's been an ongoing uh, downside of the Lincoln Riley team reputation that's why it's a question they've got to overhaul they've got to address that What's the best position group on this team? Caleb Williams was on this field behind me last night. He'll be here again tonight. Just It's an NFL quarterback. Just happens to be playing college. Not much more I can say. But I could easily go quarterback here. So, yeah, you got to return a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, probably the best in the country, about to be the number one overall draft pick. That would be easy. Let's go beyond that. I look at the receiver room. I look at the kids he's going to be throwing to. Mario Williams, I regret to inform you, outside of Los Angeles, is back. Uh, Dorian Singer led the Pac-12 in receiving yards last year at Arizona, so he crossed the desert. He comes over to L.A. You got Zachariah Branch, that's a five-star. Uh, Deuce Robinson, who I also watched on this field last year, technically listed as a tight end. 
Deuce Robinson doesn't really look like a tight end, so he figures prominently into their rotation this year. Brendan Rice is still there, so they've got experience. They've got versatility. Those aren't all the same player. Uh, probably most importantly in that room is they know who's throwing to them, and it's the best in the business in Caleb Williams. That position group is the envy of 99.9% of college football. I could have gone with one of those receivers as the breakout player, but I want to go right back to that defensive line. I want to go to Anthony Lucas. We kind of deliberated over this a little bit. Anthony Lucas was one of many uh, four- and five-star players in that loaded Texas A&M 2022 signing class that, that set the record as the highest-rated class ever. He is also one of a pretty sizable number of kids that aren't there one year later. He is at USC, former five-star defensive lineman, played in seven games last year, much like Bear Alexander. He's a guy that, that didn't rack up a ton of, ton of statistics last year as a true freshman. He's going to play and play immediately. They can't afford not to play him there. Not that they're looking for a reason to or anything. So I think he stands a really, really good shot at being a breakout player there. A number of those defenders, though, that I just listed stand that shot. But here's what I want to talk to you about. The USC schedule. It's backloaded. So I would imagine the season will go like this. Either USC is a legitimate national championship contender, in which case they get hyped up and it's all legit, or USC... Maybe is not quite at that level, but they still get hyped up because their schedule is backloaded. Either way, it's fun. But they play five teams with over-under preseason win totals of eight or more in their final six games. So pretty much everyone on the back half of their schedule is legit. And here's the other thing I don't like for them. Their bye is in week four. It's one of the earliest buys that you see out there. And so all of the meat on their schedule is after that bye week. That bye week's nice to have about week seven, week eight, week nine. They got it in week four. Uh, the other thing I was trying to do is I was trying to see, okay, how many games are they going to be favored in? It's tough to figure out because so many of these games are going to be nip and tuck. I'll give you two examples. Right now, if you look at the advanced odds market, they're a one-point underdog at Notre Dame. They're a two-point underdog at Oregon. Those lines could shift before halftime of week one. So stands to reason, going to be close either way. They could be favored in 10 games, could be favored in all 12, could be favored in nine. We'll see how that works out. USC is going to be a fascinating team to watch this year because they're going to be in the mix of a number of quality teams out in the Pac-12. And then you've got the evergreen every single season question about Lincoln Riley. Is this the year he has a good enough defense to pair with what figures to always be a really, really good offense and win a title? Look, here's the deal. Uh, We... Just had a really, really good show, I feel, even though we're on the road. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Here's the only favor. Subscribe. That's the only favor. I don't need you to subscribe to a Patreon. I don't need a dime from you. We have a wonderful company here and partners that take care of that end. All I need you to do is subscribe to this YouTube channel and subscribe to that podcast feed and then go like this and dust your hands off because you're done. And we're done from here. We'll be back in Nashville Sunday night sincerely appreciate you guys tuning in we try and make these road shows as close to the normal thing as possible and the viewership indicates that you accept it so for our entire production team here gelby's taking a selfie of himself as we speak we got kenny just offset and we got a ton coming up by the way over on the 24 7 sports youtube channel from elite 11 tonight uh, i'll even make a cameo over there so it's going to be a fun time for our entire crew producer jesse and director colin back home i'm josh Bates signing off take care have a great rest of your day and god bless you